Right, guys, it's that time of the week again. Welcome back to another another episode from the Fantasy Kickabout. Um, been a mental weekend. Um, I'm joined on this podcast by Manchester United fan David Dent and a very, very happy Liverpool fan in Dave, a.k.a. O'Hara. O'Hara, I might let you start since it was a very, very convincing win for, for Liverpool. Um, what was your thoughts from the game? Um, what's your thoughts about Liverpool's performance? Um, and where do you think Liverpool can go from a 5-0 win at Old Trafford? It was just, it was amazing, really. Like, I was <clears throat> I was nearly speechless. Like, it's the it's probably the most resounding win I've ever experienced over United and to be able to do it at Old Trafford it was it was absolutely incredible like like you'd you'd run out of words for for how good this team is but at the same time even though it was such a comprehensive win they didn't necessarily have to get out you know play to their absolute fourth or fifth gear it was what what really I suppose stood out to me especially in the first half seeing as it was 4-0 at half time was it was just really easy. I found it bizarre. You were just watching it and we'd have an attack and we'd score. I was like, oh, wow, how did we manage that? Like, if you look at, like, we'll obviously be looking at it in more detail, but even, for example, the first goal, the Nabi Kaida's goal, if you look at the still frame, you know, or like as Salah's running through and it's Salah and Kaida against Luke Shaw, who's like somehow the only person who's there in like center back at the time it looks like we've hit them on the break but that actually came from Allison playing it out to Van Dyke playing a pass out you know it was literally just pass 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 really easy and all of a sudden where is the united defense it was insane um obviously i had an absolutely incredible time watching it it was it was yeah, it was one of my favourite matches I've ever watched, to be perfectly honest, because like that, growing up with so many, so many times United just dent in our dreams or even even potential dreams um, and United just walk in league title after league title. Um, they were the bane of my childhood and, and teenage years. So uh, over the last couple of years where we've managed to get a couple of results over them, more often than we used to. Um, I've obviously been uh, reveling in that, but uh, nothing's come close to, to what happened at the weekend. Like, 4-0 at halftime, it was almost, you know, it, it, you know, it was 3-0 going into stoppage time. It was like, oh my God, 3-0 at halftime, this is incredible. And then Salah gets the fourth. And you're nearly there just laughing. It was, it was amazing how just easy it was to cut through them there was no you know Liverpool have played better at Old Trafford in the past and either won but have scored less goals or they've played better and have lost the game you know there's there's been games where De Gea has had phenomenal you know man of the match performance and United have beat us 
So like we weren't playing out of our skin at the weekend. It was just, they were so clinical. You know, each of the goals was just so, like Salah's fourth kind of sticks out in my mind in terms of a lot of players in that scenario would like take a touch or have to survey where they are, where he just knows. He barely even has to look and he just placed the bottom corner. And it was like, wow, that was that was incredibly easy. How did he do that? Um, yeah, there was just, there was so many, so many parts of the, of the game that I loved. Like, you know, you'd think, you'd think 5-0 up, you know, Salah getting a hat-trick was an absolute joy. I adore that player. He's, I, 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 I would defy anyone to, to find a strong argument to say he's not the best player in the world at the moment. Um, you know, first player to, to ever, I think, yeah, in the Premier League to score an away, an away hat-trick at, at Old Trafford. He's the first Liverpool player to score a uh, hat-trick at Old Trafford since like 1936 or something. Um, yeah, I've seen all these mad stats. Like it's the first time United have ever been 4-0 down at halftime at home. Um, but yeah, like so being 5-0 up, you'd think, I don't know, there was just, there was, there just considered, continued to be just extra like highlights of the game, like Ronaldo scoring and then that getting chalked offside, you know, from watching on the telly, that seemed to get one of the biggest cheers. Like that was comical, especially after after his petulance at the end of the first half where he was lashing out at Jones. And then they're like, that was, again, that was another, that was another brilliant point where Kanata and Van Dijk and Robertson all flew over and were like, hold on now, you back off. You know that was even even that was great to see. It was it was it was such a togetherness where you know I suppose again was in contrast to to what we've seen from United, um, with the likes of you know it's it they just it's like chalk and cheese. United are a load of individuals with no particular setup or common goal kind of thing. Where Liverpool are just this well-oiled machine. They know every single player knows exactly what they need to do and what their role is in the team and they just execute it perfectly. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, absolutely loved it. I'm happy, a happy buzzing uh, Liverpool fan. But before we get on to, obviously, the, the Man United perspective, Dave, um, you obviously, O'Hara, touched on Mo Salah and I think I'd have to definitely agree that he is at the moment, the, the best player in the world. Just explain to us what Mo Salah means to Liverpool fans and how important is it for him to be tied down to a new, uh, to a new deal? Because I know there's there, there's some people out there, some pundits that, that are saying, well, if he, he came out with a quote during the week that he can't see himself playing against Liverpool. Um, if that's the case, some of the pundits were arguing saying, why doesn't he just... Why isn't he just happy with the, the money he's on? Why does he want more, for example? But just explain to us what Mo Salah means to Liverpool and how important he is. Oh, like, he's imperative. He's an absolute god. Like, he's like that. He's playing out of his skin. You know, there was this season, his first season, where he scores 44 goals in all competitions. And you have people then coming out being, oh, he's going to be a one-season wonder. Like, he's world-class and has been consistently for years you know Liverpool as a club had a, had a relatively poor season last season 
but he's still putting up phenomenal numbers. Going into the last game of the season, it was either him or Harry Kane was going to be top scorer of the league. Um, like he's in the top ten Liverpool all-time scorers. You know, having played at least a hundred games less than pretty much everyone else in the top ten, it's the most important thing in the future of this current crop of Liverpool players in this team that we sign Salah to whatever sort of bumper deal he he wants because he deserves it. He's playing out of his skin. He is playing as the best player in the world at the moment. And the best players in the world are on the best money in the world. That's generally how it works. You know, I agree or I understand the argument of oh, well, he's on 200 grand. Why isn't he not just happy to take 220 or something? Like, because he's the best player in the world. He's one of the best players in the world. At any given time over the last couple of years, he's been in the top five, top 10, at least. I would say top five at all times. But, you know, there's arguments. He's always been in the top 10 the last few years. Everyone else in the top 10 is is earning streets ahead of what he's earning. You know, like the top five, as far as I know, top five earners in of the top five earners in the Premier League, four of them were playing for United the other day. And like none of them at the moment are fit to tie his boots. Do you know what I mean? Like Martial is on 250 grand a week and Salah's on 200 at the moment. You're telling me that Salah doesn't deserve to be, to be paid far more than Anthony Martial. Then I don't know what. Like Salah isn't even in the top 10, I think. He's, 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 there's seven or eight United players who are paid more than Mo Salah. And Salah is better than every single one of them at the moment. You know, obviously Ronaldo is is this phenomenon and has been for 15, 20 years. But he's not doing a fraction of what Salah's doing at the moment. And Ronaldo's on 500 grand. You know, like De Bruyne is on, say, whatever, 350, 400. Sancho came in. Sancho's done literally nothing in 10, 11 games. And he's on over 300, 350, as far as I know. You know, so... The only issue with paying him the amount that he deserves is that it will like break the wage structure. But if there's ever going to be a player to break the wage structure for, it's Mo Salah. Because he's here at Liverpool now. You have the argument of, oh, well, if he doesn't, you know, if they're not willing to pay him the amount, then sell him, make a profit and sell him and buy, go all out for someone like Haaland or whoever, just off the top of my head. But that player isn't here now. Klopp improves players. You know, for example, Salah. Can, can yeah, yeah, fire away then. Is there an amount you don't pay him? Out of, just out of interest. Like, is there is there a demand that he can make that you think is... Nah. That's too much, like. Like if if he wanted five hundred k now, yeah, I'd pay him because he he deserves it. Like why not? There are other players in the world like that, Ronaldo, Messi, whatever. They're they're paid in the vicinity of that. Like Griezmann was being paid six hundred grand at Barcelona. Like he's nothing. Of course, but obviously, you if you're if you're looking at Barcelona now, you can see 
where they are because of how they behaved and how they threw money at yeah, players. Like I, I, I actually have quite a, quite a lot of respect for Liverpool's. Um, now, not not I'm not blanketly saying the wage structure, but they have managed to develop probably one of the best club teams in the last 50 years. They've, they've created one of the best Premier League teams of all time yeah. without having to extortionately overpay them. Now, I'm not saying don't pay Salah what he's worth, but you do risk something if if the jump from what he's earning now to his new contract is is like crazy. Like if he goes from say two, what's he on two hundred two twenty? Yeah, as far as I know, he's on two hundred at the moment. Okay, so if he goes from two hundred to say four hundred, just for yeah. argument's sake, mm-hmm. is he worth it? Yes, of course, I completely agree that he is. But then you're gonna have. Surely you're going to start having issues with Mane if you don't have them already, um, and and then every other because everybody plays such a huge role. Trent plays a huge role. Robertson plays a huge role. Allison, um, I know, I know all, a lot of these guys have signed up to new deals already, but you know what the renewal of contracts is like. You know, once once you start getting down to two years, then the discussions start again, but. D- do you, do you do you take the risk of of going down that sort of route? Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean because that is that's that's the issue and that's why you know there's there's these stallings on the whole contract situation. Um, I agree with your point in terms of the way the club has been run has been impeccable in terms of like that creating a harmonious team and being able to bring them in on modest wages <laughs> modest in football terms but on relatively modest wages and being having it incentivized and then say two or three years down the line rewarding the success and then giving them a bumper deal so like that the likes of Salah Van Dijk Alisson Fabinho anyone who's who came in in the last four or five years came in on far less. You know, they all came in in and around, off the top of my head, maybe 100, 120, um, which again in today's game is is relatively modest. Um, and then they've gone on and they've won the Premier League, the Champions League, Super Cup, whatever, and they've all gotten bigger bumper deals. So they're up at 180, 190, 220. I think Van Dijk's on 220, having come in at maybe 150, around that. I'm not... 100% sure but yeah so I understand the 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 risk of you know a lot of the the, the core say starting 11 12 whatever are in around 200 or so so if all of a sudden then Salah goes and he's on say 400 you're obviously running the risk of of having a bit of friction but I just think I just think like when you when you see the players playing with Salah, every time he scores, or every time like the, the last few goals, say the Watford goal and the Man City goal, have been just from another planet. So when you see the Liverpool players celebrating with them, they're losing their heads. They're they're reacting as if they're fans, being like, "Holy fuck! How does he how does he do this shit every week? Like he he's not human." So you can see that they all 
can see that he's he's so special. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be only running the risk of one or two, maybe. I, I would, <clears throat> if you were to pick someone, I think I'd agree with you. If if Salah was to get far, far more, Mane would probably be the one who ends up having an issue with it. I don't think he'd have an issue initially because, again, he can see how phenomenally well Salah is playing. Um, I just, I hope, I'm, I'm absolutely praying they sign him up because I think it's, so so crucial to keeping this team going at this level and not having it that they just win the one title or or maybe win two or three and that's it and we don't win it again for 10 years I just so with the way they've structured us I'm hoping they tie it up soon but that I think possibly they'll be looking to do it that maybe he's on 350 and then there's a few relatively easy add-ons that that'll add up to the bulk. I would expect that's the route they'll be looking to go down because then his base wage has only gone up, say, X, and it's not miles and miles ahead of everyone else in the in the, in the the club. I just think it's it's so, so imperative to get him signed up and all the other players in, in the room can see that he's incredible. So I, I would be very surprised to see them having an issue with, with them paying what he's worth because they can all see that he's an absolute god. I think that was Dave giving you giving Liverpool a warning from uh, the Man- Manchester United experience of breaking wage structures for uh, for for players, but. Yeah. Um, we might uh, we might leave it at that from the, the happy part <laughs> of the podcast and move away from the less so happy um, element of the podcast. So, Dave, I was going to ask you first and foremost, how are you feeling after after the weekend? And I'm going to um, mute myself just in case <laughs> I'm likely to start laughing at some of this stuff because of how fun it was. <laughs> Even O'Hara playing games with us. But even if, Dave, you want to just fill us in with your thoughts, whether it be the the game on the weekend or things before the game, whether it was the build-up over the last couple of weeks or even the last, kind of, we'll, we'll call it the post-mortem of, of Sunday's uh, result. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's... Um... Like, the the anger is, is starting to subside. I, I was more angry than, than anything else. Um, because everything Dave said was a hundred percent spot on, and you're, you're you'd be lying to yourself if you if you didn't agree. Um, you know we we can say losing to Liverpool. There isn't there is no shame in losing to Liverpool at this moment in time, but it's how you lose to Liverpool, and uh, that. That was that was the worst thing. It, it was, you know, we saw we saw the performances over the last couple of weeks. Everybody's been said has said it's been coming, and it has been. Uh, the, this this performance, this result, um, this has been coming. Um, Ollie's decision to play the exact same uh, formation, the exact same lineup. That um, that struggled with Atalanta on Tuesday, 
was was bizarre and mind-boggling. Um, playing in an unfit Harry Maguire uh, from the Leicester game, the previous game, uh, clearly, clearly not much fit. Um, and and it's and it's shown. And um, and well, listen, the the whole sticking with McFred, you know, that's I can I can excuse that. I can I can understand that. But what we saw, you know, they, they didn't even look like players who'd never played together before, but they actually looked like players who had never played football before. You know, we're, we're talking about Luke Shaw, who has been exceptional for the last year. Um, maybe more than that. Maybe ever since Alex Tellez was signed, um, Shaw found another level. He... He was exceptional for United last season. He was exceptional for England in the Euros. And uh, w- with all respect to, to Mo Salah, he had a really tough time with Shaw for the last maybe three games, I would say. Um, with not getting, it took it took Salah a while to score against us. You know, he he marshaled them really really well. And then Sunday, it was the amount of space he was given. You know, it, it was like you did the, the best player currently in the world wasn't playing and wasn't just wandering around behind you and just being left to do whatever you wanted. I had so much sympathy for David De Gea. You know, he, he was just left in no man's land with for nearly every finish, for nearly every goal. And, and it was so easy. It was... It was just so easy. They they didn't. I mean, with the the exception of the the deflection, I think if it was the third goal was had a deflection of Harry Maguire. Um, but aside from that, they made their own look. You know, so you know it was it was the manner in which we lost and the fact that they weren't even great. Yeah, you know, we know Liverpool are a great side and they. Um, they can tear you apart. They didn't have to tear us apart. They they really it was it was men against boys, and boys with who had never played football before. Like it really it really was terrible. And um, and you know, listen. Uh, do you know what I, I I say this from a really I'm really trying here. Um, you know I I'm I'm somewhat delighted that you know. I'm glad Dave has gotten one of these days when you can really enjoy, like a game like that is one of those ones fans remember forever. You know, they, they do, you, you drink it in, you enjoy it for everything. I think Jamie said that, Jamie Carragher said it during the game. You drink it in, you, you take it all in. But So I'm delighted that he's so happy, really. Yeah, I'm delighted for him. But it's just that means a lot, Tiff. It, <laughs> it, but it, I even felt like you know, Liverpool. They, they they took their foot off the the accelerator. I don't know if Liverpool felt sorry for us. Like it, it felt like it was like kicking kicking a puppy or something. I I don't know. It it was just uh, yeah. It was it was horrible. And then I got I got so angry with post match interviews. You know. Uh, Harry Maguire coming out and 
using the phrase apologies, uh, apologies to the fans. It was so insincere. It was so it was so empty and and they've been saying it for for months. Oh, on and off. Whenever there's a bad performance, like there's a there's this little eulogy that they come out with on their social media profiles and they say that you know it's not good enough and it's and it's not good enough but then nothing happens nothing nothing changes nothing's and he kept saying they were disappointed i don't want them to be disappointed i want them to be furious i want them to be absolutely livid with each other i want them to never want to feel what it was like, I have never seen Man United fans walk out of Old Trafford. Not a halftime. Never. I've never seen fans walk out like that. That that was just so... And, and each one of those fans hurt. They don't. They can't watch it anymore. They can't watch the club that they love get absolutely humiliated. Uh, you know, you can get humiliated by anybody, but humiliated by by their fiercest, longest rivals. And and out he comes with apologies. And Ali didn't apologize. He, he like he came out and gave us. I, I know, I know, losing hurts, Ali. I know he's a winner. He, you know, he's he's been at the club when winning was the most important thing, and I know that he's not okay with it. But he didn't apologise to the fans for that performance, and that bothered me as well. But it, it was really it was Harry coming out and, you know, recycling the phrases over and over again. Apologies to the fans, fans who've travelled hours and hours up and down motorways in the UK to get to come to Manchester to watch this game. Like some fans will never get to see United and Liverpool play. Like in in the flesh, they won't get to Old Trafford or they won't get to Anfield to get to see this game. It is one of the biggest games in the world, and our friend made the trek over to to Old Trafford from Dublin. Brought his two kids; they'd never been to Old Trafford before. You know, f- fans. This is so much more important to them, to to the fans, than to some of these players. And there was a bit more of an, an honest, a bit more of an honest assessment from from Luke's, Luke Shaw being interviewed. Um, but f- fans are tired of hearing it now. They're just tired of it. Like no matter how sincere it might be, they don't care about it anymore. That they're not seeing. It's just words. They're not not doing anything different. I mean, the thing that wound so many people up was just the jogging back, the the lack of the lack of an effort. You know, if if we got destroyed by Liverpool and we left everything out there on the pitch, you could hold your hands up and say, listen, they're one of the best in the in the world at the minute and that's just the way it is. But but we didn't get any of that. We didn't get any of it. We had players who really looked like they had no idea what they were doing. Some players just lost, confused. You know, Greenwood didn't look like he knew what he should be doing. Bruno always breaks his bollocks from around the place, you know, but 
there's no point running around like a headless chicken if you're the only one doing it. And when he does it, he just opens up loads of space. So the four, you know, the four two four that that Ollie went out with, you've lost. Well, Ronaldo's not going to be part of your your super duper press at first, and then Bruno's going to be taken out with one pass or two. And so there you've got two players gone. So like it was just it was all so easy. I think if, if we're being honest, Dave, as well, I think we have to admit as well, Greenwood doesn't exactly press. It's like a half hour's press. Um, and I kind of felt with his press, I think Dave talked about the, the still image at the at the very start, when Alisson rolled the ball, I think went to Robertson, and there was a half hour's press from Greenwood. And that was what in the, the third, fourth minute. And you're kind of thinking, is is Greenwood pretending to put in an, in an effort here? Where... Obviously, from a fan's perspective, you see a player running from A to B. So you go, okay, he's, he's doing something. But when you look back and at it again and again and again, like he was nowhere near it. And then that caused like a domino effect of Aaron Wan-Bissaka then to end up as a right winger. Lindelof to push across as a, as a right back. And as O'Hara said, sure, it was Luke Shaw that was left at centre half on on his own. Um, and, just just to, to respond to that, I do, I agree with you. But this is kind of the point I'm making about not not everybody knowing what they should be doing. Because I don't I don't think these guys complete go are going out um with clear instructions. Either either they don't have clear instructions and don't understand, or they're being told to do something and they're not doing it. Either way. It spells disaster on the pitch. Maybe Greenwood isn't isn't great for pressing, but neither is Martial. Neither is you know Ronaldo. There's loads of players that aren't great at them. So you you need to you need to structure your team in such a way that you play to their strengths. Like yeah. we, we've been talking about Aaron Wan-Bissaka for a while with him getting caught out of position, Lindelof pulling across and therefore, you know, dragging Harry across. And then, you know, we had it with um, Demba Ba's goal that time. Um, who did he play for? Newcastle. He scored. No, 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 no. Oh, um, last year. oh, yeah, Istanbul. Is it, yeah, and it was it, it was an embarrassment of a of a goal. Like it was it was ridiculous. Everybody was completely out of position. Nobody there from the halfway line on. You know, we've had an issue with with positioning before, and yeah, it's just a, you know we'll we'll probably get into it, but the the yeah. structure that we have is is non-existent yeah i'm just going to kind of list off a couple of, of points that i kind of picked up on trade the game and, and other things and i might even get oh hard and to, to jump in and just see from from an outside perspective of what he sees is going wrong on on, on the pitch and we obviously kind of get it you, you mightn't watch united every week but it was it was clear as day um on sunday how bad things have have gotten but you obviously mentioned Dave about the, the the press and that some players can press. I kind of I don't know. I, I just believe every player is capable of pressing. 
some are more intelligent than others but like you said you, you can't do that individually you have to have a plan like and it doesn't necessarily mean for, for me anyways a press doesn't necessarily mean that i'm going to use ronaldo for example here because he's the the front man or we'll say um sadio man or, or Firmino for for liverpool as the front man a press doesn't necessarily mean that that player is going to win the ball it's 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 known almost where the ball is going to go to the next the next pass and maybe the next pass and that's when the next player is going to step in with the press because they've been prepared and they know when to to, to jump in like something something as simple as greenwood if he's pressing robertson force him down the line or force him to go back but never never allow him to kind of come in and he pretty much played a ball i know it was predominantly down the line but it was in between the, the the right back and and the, the the center half so i do believe players can press um it's whether they're they have a plan in place or whether they're 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 asked to actually do the press or not or think they can get away with it um i was well, listening well, to you're, i i do i do agree with you um i mean they they all have two two pairs they, they all have two legs so they they can all they all have the ability to do it. But uh, if I say to you, if if a goalkeeper is going to be, um, or a centre-half is going to be pressed, would you prefer Ronaldo to press him or would you prefer Cavani to press him? I would imagine it would be the latter because you know that as as a presser, Cavani is, is far better at it. Yeah, and, and I 100% agree with that. But I think with the current team at the moment, Cavani presses and then you, you may as well have Ronaldo pressing up the front if no one's going to come in and press from behind where that it's it's the, kind of the domino effect, the knock-on effect, the next man in. I remember being, as, as a kid playing football, being told, if, it, if even, in, even in Gaelic football, if the ball gets through, the next man is in, the next man is in, the next man is in. So you've been taught that from, well, I've been taught that from a young age. I'm sure these professional footballers have been taught that from a very, very, um, very young age. So it, it, it does baffle me, like, why? And I, if I can remember, wasn't that one stage United had, like, were coming 17th or 18th in terms of the, 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 amount, the distance they've ran on the pitch as a, as a team? It might have been towards the end of last season or even at the start of this season. I can't exactly remember. But it's just like that. That's what impressed me most about Liverpool on the weekend. And I agree with what O'Hara said. They didn't actually have to get out. of, And that killed me the most. They didn't have to get out of second or third gear. But they were doing all the basics right. They were pressing individually, collectively. They were getting passes. Um, uh, passes five yards. Were, like they were able to pass five yards. They were able to move. They were able to drag players out of positions. Um, it was just it was just crazy, and I was I was listening to Owen Hargreaves and Paul Scholes. I don't know what channel they, they were on. Michael Owen was on with them, but Paul Scholes asked Owen Hargreaves because oh he goes Owen how how would you have felt playing in, in in that midfield today? And he said, of course it would have been embarrassing. But he goes he, he goes Scholes, you, you remember when we played in in centre midfield together for United? If a situation arose like that, we never never went down without a fight we put in some sort of a fight some sort of a commitment yeah we might have lost two three nil but they kept going kept going and kept going and it was almost as as you mentioned dave as well that 
Liverpool showed like took took a, a step back, took their foot off the gas. It was almost like they felt pity towards United and the fans and 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 all that. And it was it was so disheartening to 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 watch. And I was even saying to you guys before when Pogba got sent off, it was either you laugh or cry. And I started laughing because I was like, this is just an absolute kind of shambles disaster. And Dave, one of your first points you made was Ali starting with the same 11 from the Atlanta game. That was obviously a, a big, big mistake because, yeah, we, we, we got the win. We, we probably weren't as bad as people made out to be bar, let's say, a 20, 25-minute period in, in, in the first half. But there was, again, no structure. It was almost like throwing the kitchen sink at your opposition and just kind of pre- or like putting pressure on them again, not in a structured way, and eventually getting a goal, getting another goal, and that's then to obviously individuals. Um, so that was a huge mistake, and I think I think it might have actually been mentioned in, in the group earlier, in our fantasy um, kickabout group earlier, where if any team played 4-2-4 against Liverpool, whether even if it was Man City, even if it was Chelsea, even if it was the, Barcelona, the great Barcelona's, the, you'd be annihilated having two and, and then obviously we were left with Fred and, 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 and McTominay so it, it didn't make any sense in terms of the, the starting lineup, the balance of the team going into a game like that like surely Solskjaer McKenna, Phelan, Carrick should have been aware of that and prepared for that but it, it, it made no sense to, to, to me why like the minute I saw the starting line, I just questioned it straight away but as I was saying we started in the first 90 seconds we had an opportunity with, with Fernandez, and I was like geez the lads seem to be up for this and then within 13 minutes the the game is pretty much over you know it's funny that you know um not not haha funny but one of the things that maybe though Ollie, Ollie said yeah <laughs> <Stop>. uh, <laughs> um was you know when he first took over one of the things that he had promised was that his he, he wanted his team to before anything else would be harder working than any other team they would they would work hard and work, hard work is should be a given obviously but you know, he came in and, you know, Mourinho had had let fitness standards slip and so on and so forth. And we had a bit of a grace period where players needed to improve their fitness and everything else. And, and all of that was great. But we've literally now seen that something has taken a U-turn somewhere because, and I'm not the biggest when it comes to stats, but we are now the the um the laziest team in the Premier League. We cover less distance than any other team. And you know, if I, I don't know whether for sure whether he wants his United team to be a pressing team or if he wants them to be a counter uh, counter attacking team. Um like the the figures, the performances, everything tells me that it's it's gone the other direction, and and I, I don't really know where to 
where to go with that. You know, um, I, I, I agree with everything you said. You know, if you if you go to Liverpool with a four two four, good luck to you. You good don't even to have you. to go to you Liverpool might, with a four two four. You'd want to have gates in between the four, like literally shingle gates in between, because you're not. Yeah. Yeah. They, they want, this is the thing, and one of the things that I admire most about Liverpool over the last two or three years, they want it more than everybody. When they've won, when, they, when, they've, when they won the title, and even the season before that, they wanted it more than anybody else. They turned up every single week and the bare minimum you got was 100%. And our guys our guys aren't even even halfway there. Like yeah, Just which... to piggyback on that, Dave, like that, you're entirely right. Because that season before we won the league, we were incredible, like phenomenal. One of the best teams we've seen in years. Like that was the year we also won the Champions League. But we finished second with 97 points. They might have actually been better that season. Than, than yeah, this this is, yeah, entirely. Like ninety-seven points. We were we were that close to have won to to win to get in a Premier League and Champions League double, but to have gotten ninety-seven points and not win the league, they didn't decide. Oh, okay, yeah, oh, we're done. Like, how could we possibly do that again? They literally were like, okay, we're basically going to have to win every single game next year, and they went and did that. They had 26 wins and a draw from the first 27 games. That is unheard of. And like you were saying, Dave, it's that mentality. They were like, okay, we're just going to have to do it. And so they went and did it. They wanted it more than literally everyone else that year. And that's, that's as you said, that's the difference between the two teams at the moment. Yeah, and, and, that, and that sort of mentality comes from Klopp. Like oh, okay. simple as, um, O'Hara. Just really quickly before we kind of move on to another element yeah. of the the podcast, but just from I suppose looking in from an outside perspective, what can you see that that's gone wrong for Solskjaer and United? Whether it's over the, the from the start of this season to to now, or um, whether it was Bruin obviously last season and maybe COVID worked to to Manchester United's advantage. Yeah, like, to be honest, you've said a lot of what I would have said, so I'm not going to lay over the point particularly, but the biggest thing I've seen, and it's just become more pronounced, and so it's far more obvious. You know, even even to someone who wasn't particularly used to analysing a game, as opposed to literally just watching it as a fan, you can see it even to those people. There's no cohesion with the team. The first goal on, on Sunday happens... Because everyone's just doing their own thing, and like that, the, the big one of the biggest difference between the teams is the pressing and the togetherness. Liverpool, every single player knows how they press or what the trigger is for them to press, but they press as a unit. You know, Salah's pressing, Firmino's in there behind, and if that player gets past, Firmino is all over him like a rash. Henderson's right there beside him. You know where. I, I entirely agree with what you were saying. I think it's a lot of players, it's it's half arsed, it's just lazy. It's it comes down to wanting it more. Some of the United players, 
pretend to press or one of them decides Do you know what actually i'm going to press and he does press but everyone else is like looking at him being like oh sure bruno's pressing there fair play to him like join him you do it too what are you doing you know this if i was a united fan i don't think i could be more frustrated with paul pogba generally as a player i know he didn't start at the weekend but watching united he is always someone who does my head in just as a football fan not because you know if he's not pressing obviously as a liverpool fan i like that but just generally watching the game as a football fan pogba is the absolute king of pretending to press someone you will dangling in a leg and looking looking like he's he's kind of prepared to put in a tackler put in a shift entirely he'll be running towards a player and he'll decide you know what i'll i'll try and press this person and so he'll kind of run towards him but the other player is running so fast that he's gone past him and it's actually ideal for pogba because pogba never got close enough to make it look like the player got past him so he kind of just this player is now you know 10 yards from the penalty box and pogba's like oh sure i tried i guess Do you know it it kind of looked like i tried <laughs> pogba's um uh what's the word um pro- behavior if you like for for the fifth goal was the most pogba thing that you could that you could ever see it was it was fantastic it, it was pogba thinking he was going to outmuscle three liverpool midfielders yeah <laughs> but this is the point I'm standing there yeah, exactly. But he was being pressed by two or three players. This is the point. The Liverpool players wanted it more. They absolutely hired him like a pack of dogs. And that's what they do all the time. So that, that's one of the biggest, like going back to your question, Guy, that's one of the biggest things looking in as, as an opposition point of view. There's, there's, it's, it's 11 individuals out there with no particular identity. And again, that comes from Solskjaer. He, ha- he hasn't, you know, he's there, what, nearly three years. He hasn't imprinted an, an identity on that team where, in contrast to Klopp, Klopp imprinted a, his identity literally within a couple of games back in 2015, even though the standard of player was, wasn't even up to a scratch of what we currently have. But he imprints his identity on these players and be like, as a team, this is what we are. Not... Mane, this is what you are as a player, and Henderson, this is what you are as a player, and these are disjointed things. You are all units in this entire machine, and that just it it just works so beautifully. Yeah, I was I was delighted we didn't go off on a a Pogba tangent there because he, he always seems to be uh, <laughs> a main topic of of he was, of he wasn't discussion. involved long enough. Literally, I know. Yeah. <laughs> there was um, there was there was a, a meme going around of, of Pogba's heat map, which was literally just a, a straight line on and a straight line back yeah. off the yeah. off the pitch. Uh, element of the the podcast we might touch on 
potential appointments for for, for Manchester United because I think the writing is on the wall, Dave, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I don't know whether you agree or disagree and um, whether you should be given more time or is it time to to cut ties and and, and move on before things get before yeah before things get too sour because I think both of us do did agree or do agree that he's done a lot of good for the club and he's maybe taken Manchester United maybe as far as he could would you give him a bit more time um if so how long if not who would you like to see as a replacement but also who do you think realistically could be a replacement um so we do agree i will be eternally grateful for the good things that Solskjaer has done and he has done he has done some great things and he's done things with the club in mind and i, I do honestly believe he um has done everything with the with the the benefit of the club in mind but i do also think that he's reached the limits of what what he can where he can bring us um you know o'hara was talking about imprinting on on um on 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 his team and and i do agree to an extent but i think one of the the worries is that we got we, we were we were progressing each season we were getting better we are our, our um you know we were each finish was pushing us up the table it was you know from sixth up to third and then a runner-up position you know the, the concern now for me and for every united fan most likely at this point is that not only are we going backwards um after a summer that involved recruiting Sancho at long last, uh, the surprise signing of Rafa Varane, who's like it was an amazing signing, and then bringing in Ronaldo, and then it all, it all seemed to go backwards. So, um, it's it's for every fan, I'm sure, it's the lack of structure, it's the lack of, um what seems to be like team coaching you know his his man management skills for the most part i probably skipped over it but you know treatment of donny van de Beek, treatment of of uh, Lin, lingard since he uh, since he came back in um treatment of sancho you know um i know we're only 10 games in but on sunday when we were in in such a, a, an awful place, Diego uh, Diogo Dallo went on instead of Sancho. It's, it's a little bit, little bit mystifying. Um, I, I think we've we've reached as far as he can bring us forward, and um, and I think we need someone to come in and put a proper structure in place. A proper, um, a proper tactician, and I think we're we're both in agreement that if he is going to be replaced, it will most likely be by Conte. Um, I wasn't completely thrilled about Conte in the first uh, instance, but I think I maybe got caught up in the 
the negative media spin on what Conte brings. Um, I think I had it in my head that he was a bit of a an argumentative character, but having looked into it a little bit more over the last two or three days, he's um, he's done a, a solid job everywhere he's been. He he's he lives and breathes football. Um, he he is committed beyond belief. Um, and maybe maybe he brings something that um, that we need in terms of personality. I, I think uh, you know. I mean, he went in and did an amazing job at, at Inter Milan with 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 very little money spent um, and and won them a league title. He did a super job with Italy. He did a super job with Juve, and um, and okay, things didn't end exactly the way the way you'd like uh, at Chelsea. But um, I don't think I don't think he would be the worst. Um, and I think if if it's even just a short term um, appointment, if he only stays a year, two years, maybe the the perfect replacement isn't available now. Um, there are some fans that would want a Rogers, Brendan Rogers. There are some fans that would want uh, Zidane. There are some fans that would want Pochettino still. Um, I've said on this podcast before, I'm a fan of Thomas Tuchel. I think he's a, a superb manager and I think he has the perfect balance for what we need. Who knows? Maybe Chelsea will be back on the manager merry-go-round. By the time uh, uh, Conte's stint comes in, and, and another manager be it, will be available, but I think this season is still very sal- salvageable. Um, where it's not looking great at the moment, but this season is not going to be a ninety-seven point season uh, for for Liverpool, for City, for Chelsea. Player, their teams will drop points. Um, so I, I think there's still certainly time for the tide to turn and n- not for a Premier League, a proper Premier League challenge, but certainly for it to be a good season, a top four, uh, a good run in the Champions League uh, with, with the right with the right structure, with the right plan. I think that's still certainly salvageable. All right. Um, would you fear... Antonio Conte coming to Old Trafford um, and bringing his style of play, his structure. Um, he's obviously, as Dave mentioned, has has a good history with obviously Inter, Juve, what he done at Chelsea to a certain extent as well. And maybe his ability to, even when we look at Inter Milan, to bring some, I suppose the best way to describe him is Premier League rejects and turn them into Serie A winners um, and a handful of them were, were Man United players or ex-Man United players. Would you fear with the experience of Conte coming in that that could bring a different challenge, maybe not necessarily this season, but over the next couple of seasons? Yeah, I think he'd like I think he's he's definitely a better manager than Solster. Um I liked him when he was at Chelsea. Um obviously with with Juventus having won the league so many years in a row I was delighted that he managed to to get Inter to win the league last year um, <clears throat> I think it's an interesting it's an interesting appointment in ter- or it would be an interesting appointment in terms of it's it's always strange to me to 
to think of United as a team who, you know, will get this manager in for maybe two years and get another one, you know, because for all of my lifetime until Ferguson left, he was the only manager that was there. Um, so it just, it seems out of character. But again, the, the club has changed so much since Ferguson has gone. So it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. And I think it would be definitely a better proposition than Solskjaer, I think. If Conte was the United manager, I definitely, um, I think United would be far more to be reckoned with. Um, I, I think, again, like, not not necessarily to a massive extent, but to draw a comparison with Klopp, like you said, you know, Conte has, you know, gotten these like Premier League rejects or players who we didn't particularly think were, had any, had any more of a ceiling to, to reach to and, and turn them into league winners, whether it be, you know, the likes of Moses when he had him at Chelsea and Ashley Young and stuff at Inter Milan. Conte fits them into a system that works for the players and improves players, where I think the players United have, I think they've, they've some outstanding players. So rather than just put them all onto the pitch and see what happens. I think Conte would actually be able to implement some sort of a solid structure that the players would actually know what system they're playing and what the end goal is and what they're all what they're all supposed to be doing as part of that unit. You know, I think it's it's not far off from being a you know, a, a dangerous team and a, a scary team because there's some phenomenal players in there. I just think I was listening to, to a podcast there the other day and they made a, a, an interesting point, which I think is, is relatively true, that Solskjaer seems to more so structure his team on who's the least easy to leave out of the team in terms of Ronaldo, you can't dream of dropping him, Grant. So he's number one on the on the team sheet. You know, you can't drop Bruno Fernandez. You know, he's this is why the likes of, of Van de Beek isn't playing and why Sancho, for all the money that he's come in, you know, Solskjaer's gonna look at, at at Sancho and be like, Yeah, you're a great you're a great talent, like, but I can leave you out. You know, and I just think it's it's he he's oh, I just think, yeah, I think Conte would be able to do a lot better. Ex- with the exact set of players that are there, it's it's interesting <laughs> um, because the reaction in the media over Solskjaer dropping Ronaldo for the Everton game, like it felt at the time, it was a he was kind of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Yeah. Um, it it felt to me perfectly. Uh, reasonable that if you're going to drop Ronaldo to the bench, it's not like he replaced him with Greenwood or he replaced him with Elanga. He replaced him with Cavani, a top, a top class striker. And and then there was the whole thing with you know Martial scored, and then there was Ferguson talking to Khabib and talking about starting with your... Like, there was this pressure, and I'm sure Solskjaer is used to it at this point, but no matter what 
what 11 he chooses there is always going to be criticism there is always going to be a you know he just know what he's doing what and all the rest of it but i agree with your points there is certainly a thing of can't drop ronaldo without there being a media shitstorm about it then bruno's not getting dropped harry's not getting dropped De Gea is not getting dropped um he, he he is actually brave enough to to drop drop Pogba. He's dropped him a couple of times, but it's it's a very very bizarre set of circumstances. But it would explain perfectly why Van der Beek doesn't play and why Sancho. Like there's been loads of questions now asked over the last couple of days. Do United know why they signed Sancho? And which it seems crazy because most fans were like, "Yeah, we need a winger." Um, but now, if if Greenwood's gonna play it there, then is Sancho gonna play? And then Sancho's being brought in on the left. And and this is the thing about structure is that there doesn't feel like there there is any. We have like an embarrassment of riches when it comes to attacking talent. And I don't know if he wants to try and fit it all in to the one eleven, and just have like Fred and McTominay just behind them, you know, and trying to make something work out of it. But it's it's just I would expect that Conte would have no time for any of that nonsense. Uh, that he would. Um, did Conte manage Pogba, by the way, at Juventus? I think so. Potentially, or somewhere along the way? I think so, yeah. Hmm. Um, it, it, it feels like he he wouldn't care. Uh, he wouldn't care if you were Scott or Fred or Donny or Lin, uh, Lingard. I, I think he would. Um, he would literally do what he wanted and as long as he was getting what he wanted from whatever player he chose then that player would 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 get their minutes and there will be none of this kind of nonsense of um you know what we've seen with with Donny in, in particular over the last uh, year and Sancho for the last for the last couple of weeks so I don't know. Maybe he brings an element of fear. Maybe he brings an element of authority. Um, you know, we we will lose something from Ali with how he, he is a good man 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 manager, but um, but that that's that's being outbalanced now. So um, may, maybe did they just some need authority? Some need to be just hoofed out the door. I think we're all just ready for Pogba to move on. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how things unfold. Yeah, I was gonna say before we go off on another Pogba tangent, I'll uh, move us back to <laughs> move us back to Conte. But again, for, for me, with, with Conte, when his name was mentioned a couple maybe a week, two weeks ago as a potential replacement that he was available, I wasn't kind of too keen, similar to yourself, Dave, but my head's starting to turn and starting to kind of come around the dash idea of Conte. 
purely because I think these United players just need a kick up the arse, to be honest. And Conte will be the sort like he's not afraid to to drop players. He's not afraid to change formation if things aren't working. He's not afraid to to give players opportunities. So as you were talking about, the likes of Donny Van de Beek, uh, Lingard, Sancho, you could definitely see them give him obviously more opportunities. And it's crazy to even say that, isn't it? That we have to try give Sancho more opportunities, which it's just kind of baffling. Even just saying it here myself, um, but like other things with 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 Conte, he he will, yeah, he may only stay at United for a season, two seasons, three seasons max. But that's the longevity of a of a Premier League manager these days. So I think so many United fans are getting caught up in this. You have to bring someone in to stay for the next 20 years, which is not mm. going to happen. And if I'm being honest, even with, with Klopp and Liverpool, how long is Klopp there? Is it five years, O'Hara? He's there six years now. Six years. Yeah, possibly he, he could get to the 10, but I, can't, I couldn't see him maybe going beyond the, the, the 10 years, just the way football is. Um, yeah, like his contract is up in 24. So that would have it that he's there just shy of nine years. But like that, he has said that... He's planning on kind of finishing at that point and taking a break. I think yeah. Pep and Klopp also have have a similarity in that they they demand so much from their players yeah. that there's there's there is an expiry date on on that level of performance that they can that they can get from the from these players at such a high level. Um, so it, it wouldn't shock me for Klopp to. To, to wrap it up at, in 2024. Um, is that is that when Pep is due to go or is he due to go next season? I think season? it's a year earlier. Ne- ne- uh, Pep was, is it 2023? Yeah. I think it is, yeah. And he's yeah. he's obviously already announced that kind of officially, whether he changes mind now or not is another thing. Yeah. But just back to, to, to Conte, you're, you're looking at Conte, as we all kind of said, that he, he seems to improve players, maybe get the best out of players or play the players' strengths. As we as O'Hara mentioned, the likes of Victor Moses, he played to his strengths. He, he, he put him in a position, gave him these responsibilities, and Victor Moses rewarded him, both at Chelsea and obviously Inter Milan as well. Like when um, you think that season, Gary, sorry to cut across you, but like that season in that, in that Chelsea team, Victor Moses on right wing back was fantastic for the whole season. And this was a player who I think he had been at Chelsea five or six years at that point and like had played maybe three times. Like he had been on loan to a different club every single year. And then all of a sudden Conte comes in and decides, do you know what? You're perfect for my system. And he plays out of his skin for the year. So yeah. that's, that's yeah, I just think he, he would make a big difference at United. Yeah, and, and like he could he could potentially put in a likes of Lingard as a, as a right wing back or... Uh, McTominay, similar to his position at Scotland as a as a third centre half, he, he could kind of mess around and find the right balance for this team. So that's why I'm kind of starting to turn my head towards it. Before that, if I'm being honest, I had no idea who 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 I wanted. I was thinking maybe Brendan Rodgers, um, Ten Hag at, at at Ajax because of what he's done with 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 Ajax, they have a structure, they have a system, a lot of youth players, um they have an identity he comes across as a good manager obviously I don't watch a lot of Ajax but it, it's it's just so hard to know. and I do think 
this appointment is one of the most important appointments. But on the other hand, like I said, Conte could come in just for a year or two, potentially steady the ship, and then another manager, as they've alluded to, maybe like a Thomas Tuchel could become available on the the the, the Chelsea merry-go-round of managers. It's I, I don't know who will end up as Man United manager this time, three, four years' time, but I think this appointment right now is one of the most crucial for United that they don't go take two or three steps backwards. They have to keep progressing forward. And at the moment, unfortunately, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, we're taking steps backwards where over the past couple of seasons, we've taken small steps forward, but they were still forward. And I'm afraid things will get very, very sour if Solskjaer stays in the job until the end of the season or until Christmas, things will sour off and he may be forgotten for what he, the good things, what he's done for the club. Um, but also, I can see a logic reason why he might be soldier might be kept in place for the Spurs game, potentially Atlanta, and the following game against City before the international break, purely because Conte seems to be quite a difficult negotiator. So I don't see the point in sacking soldier now and having no one to come in, or having a Darren Fletcher to come in for three interim games. That makes that would that makes no sense to me. Um, does it make would that make any sense to you, Dave? Uh, no, absolutely zero sense. I mean, like you would, like uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the, the the Darren Fletcher thing threw me off because <laughs> that was mentioned yesterday, and I thought, like, what is Wes Brown not free, or is you know, could we not? Get I heard John O'Shea is free as well. So. Surely Jamba Jamba's still knocking around somewhere. But um, just a point on, on Conte. Um, uh, you mentioned about him being a, a tough negotiator, and that definitely he does come with certain wanting certain assurances which uh which I, I understand i think he will actually have an easier time than he did at uh inter milan for example i think this this squad is okay maybe you could you could add in a proper uh solid de- defensive midfielder um you you could bring in a rice or bring in a neves or bring in somebody but i don't think he needs the wholesale changes that he did at Inter Milan um, or in, in in previous jobs, I think this squad is is good enough to 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 be competitive and to um, to keep moving forward. I I think it the majority of what we've got a problem with at the minute is is mindset. His structure is a, a, a real game plan that everybody thoroughly understands and knows what their job is 100%. So I, I think, you know, United have been um, good at supporting managers financially when it comes to needing, needing to bring in additions and the club have worked pretty well with Solskjaer and his his recruitments have been for the most part have been pretty pretty good signings so I don't think we'll need much to be added in for Conte if he does decide to take the job and he is given the given the chance after oh, we know he's not gonna 
um, Solskjaer is not going to be sacked before before Spurs at the very earliest. He's he's definitely going to um, handle that game. He uh, he handled training today uh, embarrassingly with Sir Alex Ferguson. Sir Alex Ferguson was at training today. Um, that's that's just um, that's mortifying. But um, he, he's going to... Um, I'm glad you love that, Dave. <laughs> I tried to laugh quietly. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's definitely not going to be... A decision won't be won't be made before, before the Spurs game. It'll be interesting to see what sort of a team he goes with for, for Saturday. Because if it's anything like Sunday's... Um, I would be so disappointed in Oli for literally learning no lessons. <laughs> like, no lessons learned whatsoever. Um, Lingard really needs to be playing by maybe. Um, uh, like he, if he was to try and show that he's willing to do something different, to make a change, make something try to make something stick in the, the few games that he's got left, he'll make changes. But it'll be interesting to see how that, that portion of it unfolds. Final question for the, the podcast to, to both you guys. We'll start with O'Hara. Can you see Olegano Solskjaer still being in charge come the international next international break in November? I'd love him to be. Because I think the longer he's there, the the longer this this uh, charade goes on. I wouldn't say so. Um, I'd say if the likes of Conte is is available and is you know willing to negotiate to then become the United manager, I think that's the way to go. Um, you know the talk coming out that you know he's been given kind of three games to save his job, or whatever. You know it's not like he's been given you know, Watford, Wigan and Crystal Palace, do you know what I mean? Like it's it's what Tottenham City and a Champions League match in there. So um I you know hundred percent don't see him taking nine points out of those games. I'd love it to not only from the point of it would keep him in the job, but it would take points off City as well. So obviously that would be in everyone's interest. Um but no I think if if we're uh if we're being honest, yeah, I think I think his days are numbered and it won't be long before there's a new United manager there. Dave, you obviously mentioned that you can see him in charge for the for the Spurs game. Can you see him in charge um for the Atlanta and City game? Um yeah, I can. Um I think if it was if he was going to be relieved of his duties, he'd have he'd have been done by now. Um, I think he he will get those three games. Um, now I could be completely made a liar of if he loses to Spurs, he could he could be gone. Um, but I think uh, I think the the plan, and this is completely my guess, the plan would be to see out, get him to the the international break. And and go from there and do something as maybe as not discreetly but as respectfully as possible because I, I think there's a huge amount of, there's a huge amount of respect there from the fans for Ollie 
from the players by all accounts. Um, okay, maybe they're they're not completely on board with his tactics or understanding, or maybe they're not sure he's the man. But I think there's respect there, um, and uh, I think they'll try to do it as as respectfully as possible. Perfect. Anyways, guys, we will wrap it up because I'm sure Har will want to go back and rewatch the game for the next 90 minutes um, while he has the chance before the before the the, the next round of fixtures come around. Which, uh, by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, in the in the lovely position of being over in Anfield to see them on Saturday, so uh, I'll be able to bask in oh, their brilliant. glory. Enjoy. Su- super. You'll be able to do a few uh, a few. Um, Live videos or takeovers yeah, and exactly, a bit of footage yeah. from the from the from the game. But um, honestly, guys, thanks very much for for joining us. It almost felt like a bit of a counsel, counseling session uh, this episode. But um, again, good chats as always. Very honest opinions, and um, I think O'Hara found it very much a, a comedy show probably tonight. But uh, we'll chat to you soon, guys. O'Hara, enjoy the the game of the weekend, Dave. Hopefully, we can enjoy our game on the weekend. Cheers, that's Take care, guys.